an art, a science. Valuations can be complex and mysterious, but at Bizval we just don't think that needs to be the case anymore. We believe that if you can answer a set of straightforward questions about your financial performance and the prospects of your business, then you can get an accurate estimation of the value of what you've built. For those who want an extra touch, our concierge service is still incredibly affordable and it gives you direct access to our expertise. Now in many cases our valuations cost less than 10% of what you would pay elsewhere for a professional services firm. And best of all, we usually get to a similar answer. Visit bizval.co where you'll quickly learn that we value your company. Welcome to this episode of the Bizval podcast. I have a very exciting guest here today. The company name is a lot easier than his name. So I'm going to start with his name because I've been practicing. It's Greek. So now you know it's not an easy one. It's Vangelis Kyriasis. Is that close, Vangelis? Nailed it, Ghost. Nailed it. Nailed it. Hey, practicing, practicing works. You sound like an international tennis sensation, but actually you're an international finance sensation, which is, you know, almost as cool, but, but also not quite. Hey, what do you reckon? <laughs> Agreed. I think uh, we said earlier, maybe an international paddle sensation would be better, but uh, <laughs> yes. finance, I think not as glamorous, not as many fans. Uh, we do it, but not, not as much love from the people. But yeah, been a really cool journey. No, end. no. The Formula One stars don't line up to go and watch the final of the local accounting championships, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, perhaps the world is changing. So <laughs> thank you for your time today. I think it's going to be an incredibly interesting conversation. So SIFT is an important partner to Bizval, and I think we are big admirers of what you do. And I kind of think we should actually start there, which is what you do. So the one thing, of course, someone might notice is that SIFT has a Y in the name. And I have this theory that as soon as there's a Y rather than an I, it means you're a tech company or at least trying to be a tech company. You think that's a reasonable, uh, a reasonable rule of thumb? 100% little switch of the I to a Y, SIFT Analytics, S-Y-F-T. But yes, we started as a, as a software business, as a tech business, uh, and uh, that was about seven years ago today, uh, goes. So, well, not today, but uh, nearing seven years, should I say. Fantastic. That's a good innings. So I think for the sake of listeners to save them a Google, and for those who are not familiar with your brand, what does SIFT do? Sure. Uh, we in the reporting and analytics space. So we analyze financial data and we help businesses get insights into that financial data and make better decisions with it. Uh, so really taking financial data of a business and trying to distill it into actionable insights. I mean, there's always a huge gap for this stuff, right? Because most entrepreneurs, unfortunately, they kind of get their financials from their accountant once a month and they skim read them and they don't really understand them, right? It's kind of the dark arts and it's a great pity because you can't really run a business unless you have your finger on the pulse of the financials. And I think especially when you start to get into a business that has inventory or lots of debtors or lots of creditors, whenever the complexities come in, especially around working capital, I think if you're not adequately you know tracking this stuff and understanding it you can get yourself into pretty serious trouble agreed uh, natural correlation should i say between analytics and and sort of the size of the business the bigger the business gets the more important it becomes uh and i also think a, a bit of a disconnect not every business owner is an accountant or has done a, a finance degree so trying to make that sort of data more accessible, more visual is, is important so that any business owner sort of knows where they're at and, and also where they're heading. So I like to think of myself as a reformed CA. It is my profession, but I'm basically a writer and podcaster these days, which is quite fun. So, of course, I study IFRS and I know, you know, international financial reporting standards. I know how ridiculous it gets for listed companies, actually. A lot of the rules just don't really make sense. They're very divorced from reality. I think in small businesses, it's more about just managing cash, right? kind of how that cash flows into the business and then where it lands on the balance sheets. 
I think if people just understand that that is the concept of, of finance, it actually it takes something quite esoteric and it makes it a lot more accessible. Agreed. I think looking at that cash balance is, is sort of the starting point for any business. You know, you want to know, is that going up? Can I cover things like payroll? Who owes me money? Can I pay my suppliers? So I think distilling it down to like one metric of, of cash is, is normally the best starting point, rather than trying to complicate it with more of this accounting and sort of these international financial reporting standards. So yeah, st- stick to the basics is, is the best sort of points of to take away from that. Yeah, definitely. And I think the rubber really hits the road when a company becomes VAT registered. I think then things start to get quite serious. And a lot of entrepreneurs realize, okay, this is this is hectic. You can very easily end up in a situation where you can't pay yourself because you need to pay your VAT and you haven't collected all your debtors yet. So that layer of money that you would have used to pay yourself is just sitting in your accounts receivable rather than in your bank account. And you can sit there having had the month of your life and you know you actually can't pay yourself because you have to pay your tax first the worst is the final provisional tax payment right at the end of a year is uh you know you've got to kind of figure out like listen this is what i think my tax was i gotta go pay this thing before you've collected the debtors once you actually get into that situation then you realize just how important cash management is i think until those complexities come through entrepreneurs kind of fly by the seat of their pants often out of necessity and then as a business matures i would imagine they realize okay I need to get a bit more serious about actually managing, managing the cash, you know. I mean, what is the sort of typical size of a business off the top of your head that uses SIFT? You know, at what point is it matured to that point where you guys become relevant? I think you're relevant from day one, but at what point do entrepreneurs realize that? 100%. Uh, definitely, again, the, the bigger the business, the more useful our software will be because there, there's more moving parts. There's maybe uh, different stakeholders or managers that require insights into that data. Um, I would say in terms of what SIFT connects to, we sort of naturally connect to different softwares, things like Xero, QuickBooks Online, Sage Business Cloud. Those tend to be small and medium type accounting packages or or sort of general ledgers. So the majority of customers or businesses coming to SIFT tend to be small and medium sized businesses. As the the businesses become bigger, as I say, they naturally, their complexity rises and the, the need for analytics is greater. Also entities that have multiple sort of locations franchises where they've got lots of locations around the country, they might want to group those together to get a a sort of global holistic picture of of their business. Um, You are right, that million mark threshold for VAT registration, suddenly the business becomes sort of a sort of real business. You've got this payable every two months and there's more things to look at, so more moving parts. But yes, I'd say probably north of of a million, the SIFT starts to become more relevant and that would be a million rand of sort of sales in a business. So moving on, I think, into how you've kind of built this business, I think partnerships have been a big part of it, right? And integrations, I think that's the key, because there's a lot of technology that entrepreneurs kind of use as a accepted fact. There are only so many different accounting software packages that have space in this world. And you plug into those, as I understand it. You know, did you have that kind of product roadmap when you started, or did you kind of just start with one and then you went from there? Did you know it would end up like this? You know, how much of this was pre-planned versus the way it just developed? I think you can never plan it out, to be honest. Uh, We we started out back in 2016, uh, and it actually was built from an accounting practice where we wanted to give our clients um, reports that were more understandable and visual. what we thought when we originally started it, we, we actually integrated firstly with Sage Business Cloud Accounting. It was called Sage One back there. And the sort of roadmap or vision 
on like setting out on this was around building a tool that would give you some basic analytics, but might be a channel for you to uh, take out a loan or to borrow from a a finance provider with. So that was the original vision for SIF. Let's build out a few graphs and analytics. We'll make it free. And then it might be a channel to lending down the line. Um, That quickly evolved as we started to look at things like Xero, QuickBooks Online. So post Sage, we integrated with Xero and then QuickBooks Online. And SIF is very, as sort of like a downstream tool, very dependent on there being data from another system. So I think we we were very dependent on partners. As you mentioned, integrations were key. I think SIF wasn't really a tool to be used without you integrating something with it. So we, we, I'd say, highly, almost entirely independent, well, dependent, should I say, on integrations and and partnerships with these types of softwares. From there, we we started to evolve. We saw that, and it was actually customer-driven. People using SIF that had logged on they liked the visuals and then they were like, hey, we want to put our logo on this. We want to generate a report in and multiple of these reports in one. So a lot of it was customer driven. I think setting out in day one, we didn't know where the product would be seven years later. It was all iterative based on customer feedback and, and sort of a circular loop. Let's talk with the customers, see what they need. Uh, and now, I guess in a, in a week, we're having hundreds of customer conversations, which is informing future product development. So yeah, a, a, an awesome sort of cycle. Pretty much the answer I was expecting. So I kind of have this very unorthodox view around stuff like business plans. I think the business plan is, is, is something that happens every day. So much business advice is sit down, write it all down, come up with this 30 page plan, this, that. For me, it's the worst. You, you only learn by doing and you only learn by getting feedback from people on the ground every day and then changing what you are doing in response to that literally all the time. Entrepreneurship Agreed. is the most dynamic thing in the world, right? I think especially when you're building yes. a product, you know, as you guys have, have so successfully done. I guess for those who are maybe not familiar with SIFT, I've seen some of the stuff. It's, it's very visual. It's very well laid out. It's very clever in that regard. What would you say is sort of the key differentiator? Because at the end of the day, you know, let's call a spade a spade. The business is make the accounting information more usable for entrepreneurs. Like that in and of itself is not splitting the atom. We know this. But the way you've done it is clearly very good. You know, so what was the trick that helped SIFT become, you know, so good in this space and so big? Because you've got clients all around the world now as I understand it. 100%. Yeah, so we, we're about um, mainly a global business now. Most of our, our revenues outside of South Africa or the in, inside of South Africa. Um, in terms of, uh, again, it's, it's probably like a combination of years and years of, of pushing at it. It's very plug and play. So once you connect your data, everything's done for you. So yes, you can go deeper and do more customization if you're a more advanced user. But I think most users just want... Uh, without having to interact too much with the tool to get a few insights out off the bat. Uh, I think also the breadth of maybe the, the analytics. So a lot of people tend to focus and accountants tend to focus on, let's say, P&L balance sheet, which are like your key sort of uh, trial balance type statements. But more management information is actually contained in things like customers and products What am I selling and who am I selling it to? So I think it starts to go from this financial accounting perspective to this management accounting perspective. And I think business owners really need the management accounting side, whereas accountants sometimes tend to be stuck in the the P&L and balance sheet. The real detail is in the the products and the customer data uh, that helps the businesses like make better decisions. Yeah, and so much of building a successful business is actually just execution. It really is. It's, It's doing a whole lot of small things really well. 
and you wake up one day and you think, wow, look what we've, look what we've built. You know, and, and again, you don't realize that until you try to build a business. You don't realize how much of a grind it actually is. Yeah, it's, I'm sure that's been your experience as well. Definitely small little steps, like day in, day out over years and years. It probably took us, uh, I'd say, at least three years to hit uh, product market fit. We were still doing like our consulting businesses, the accounting firm, trying to build Sift on the side while doing that. You know, it was it couldn't really go all in with a, a software business. It's probably like a, a long linear flat sort of curve and then it starts to tick up once once you've got a critical mass of features and and sort of the product is solving enough of uh, the user's problems where it, it can sort of become useful and then there's sort of a snowball effect from there so yeah uh, a long grind and, and more to come uh, so i think we're just getting started to be honest it's yeah yeah for sure and, and i mean you've been doing this for a few years now and it started out of an accounting firm i'm just curious from a team perspective is it still the original protagonists who are all running around? I mean, did you guys have the skills in-house or did you need to go and bring in some devs to come and do this kind of work? We, we've kept it always in-house. So we've never outsourced uh, anything at the business um, besides actually our accounting back to the old accounting practice for the software business outsourcing there. But luckily, the, the founding team had had quite a diverse uh, skill set. So I think critical was having our uh, one of our founders being on the technical side. So he's our CTO and, and one of the founders. I think having that knowledge uh, and, and sort of that engineering knowledge in-house and was key. And we've gone on to hire like many engineers uh, in, in that space. So all internal, not outsourced again. Uh, the rest to the the founding team all still working in the business today uh, more on sort of the accounting side and more maybe the finance side so guys coming from like a finance background a cfa so quite quite a lot of i guess banking experience and then a bit of that technical engineering experience sort of combined from from the early days uh, but again probably three years of of sort of uh, just us, one or two other people, and then we're able to scale the team sort of late 2019 into 2020 into sort of COVID and beyond. I think there's an important lesson there, which is something I firmly believe is when you start a business, you need to have the skills that are going to make it work yourself to a very large extent. Otherwise, you're never going to fully understand it. And you sometimes see, you know, what I would call almost the postbox entrepreneur. You know, they kind of go and raise a bit of money, build a team, sit in the middle of all of this as the postbox between the two, but it doesn't really work. Sometimes it does, but on average, they just don't have that in-depth understanding of what's actually going on. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense in terms of how much of the skill was sitting already in your team so that you could collaborate and build this thing. Um, it's not a dissimilar story at Biswell, actually. I think at the end of the day, you probably would have had to have done every role and have worn like every sort of hats because you then know the quantum of work, you know, the difficulty in the task. So it becomes easier to sort of hire and monitor performance off the bat of it. So I think, uh, yes, hiring for, for skills you don't have is key, but I think also having a, a crack at things to know the, the difficulty and the quantum of work is also important. Uh, but before you go out and just blanket hire and sort of uh, try to bring on tons of people into roles that you've never tried and you, you have no concept of. Especially in South Africa, because we can't just sort of wave our hands and venture capital money flows from the heavens down into our bank accounts. It's, this is not Silicon Valley. And the reality is in the US, the VC space has changed now with high interest rates. It does make it more difficult to raise cash. But I think South Africa has never really had that ecosystem that allows people to just go and raise millions and millions and millions of rands or dollars in the US context. It would be dollars off literally a drawing on a whiteboard. 
you know, and then go and start hiring people and then start building. We just don't have this luxury here. So, so many of the entrepreneurs in South Africa, I think have had to have that skill themselves and bootstrap it. It's quite rare to get outside investment actually. And even when you do get it, it's not a blank check. <laughs> and it's not a blank check to go and build a huge team of devs and hope for the best. Agreed. I think you're not going to get, uh, look, you'd need quantums in sort of the tens of millions to match raises overseas. And I think you, you have to, the, the bootstrapping route is great because you're always looking, you're cost sensitive and you're looking to make money from day one. So I think it is a mindset that that does work. Um, you're right. I don't think there's much capital flowing in, in sort of the seed realms in, in South Africa that would uh, allow you to build a team, but also not the expertise and maybe the wisdom to like leverage off your, your angel investors or your seed round investors that have experience in the software space. I think South Africa doesn't have tons of SaaS businesses or founders that have been there and done it that can then contribute to that ecosystem as well. You make a lovely point there about bootstrapping. So, you know, when you have to bootstrap, you have to think about the unit economics. What you're building has to make money because it has to pay you next month. There are so many examples of VC-funded companies, especially in the US, where the unit economics just don't work at all. And there are huge examples of that, like Spotify's podcasting business. The unit economics don't work. And that's Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because it's just easy to go and raise tons of money, let alone smaller, unproven businesses you've literally never heard of. So I do think bootstrapping in some respects is a gift, you know, and sometimes you need to obviously get some outside money in. you need to get some outside partners in. For sure you do. I think Bizval is a good example of that. But I do think South African bootstrapping culture is, is a strength, actually. It, it really does drive people to build a profitable businesses rather than just continuously rolling the dice. We don't have the ability for VCs to say, well, nine will fail, but the 10th one will get so big that I don't care. It's hard to get that big in South Africa. I think you're a rare example of a business that has managed to genuinely build an international client base from South Africa. And it's, it's a huge feather in your cap. Appreciate it, Ghost. I think it's a, it's a great trend, though, um, and it's something that others can replicate. So I think, uh, especially at the current exchange rates and sort of rand weakness, um, it's attractive to build a global business and to earn in, in foreign currency. I think you, I mean, you know, over the last seven years, we've probably depreciated, let's say, I don't know, 50% from a currency perspective. And that makes like hiring local much easier. It actually means you can charge the same overseas and, and it's more bang for your buck locally. So I think it's a model that others should look to replicate. I think we're well positioned for it. And, and yeah, hopefully people can take advantage of it going forward from a South African business building perspective. I think it's because your international clients just think they're speaking to a global paddle sensation as opposed to an accountant from Joburg. And then they, you know, that clearly has to open some doors for you. Um, while I still got you, because we are running out of time, I want to yeah. ask you about artificial intelligence. So what does this mean in your space? It's really early days in some respects, but the rate of adoption is ridiculous at the moment. I mean, it's my Twitter feed is just full of AI, AI, AI. It's insane. Um, what does it mean in your world? You know, where do you see this going? It's a hard question to answer, obviously. I think uh, it's super topical. I think there's a lot of great content coming out of a few people on Twitter, specifically in this uh, sort of accounting realm, app realm, uh, one of them being Jason Stats, uh, CPA in, in the US, really talking around some some great use cases for for AI in, in different products. Uh, I think so, like looking towards like some of the, the stuff he's put out, um, I think from a, let's say like a, classification of transaction perspective i think that's something that's always in in kind of the at the end of the day the numbers that sift puts out is only as good as the way you've classified your data 
in your accounting software. So I think there's a lot of really good use cases for for classifications of transactions and sort of automated bookkeeping by leveraging AI and, and sort of uh, that space. I think there's, there's other areas where guys are starting to look at uh, AI agents doing tasks that maybe um, accountants would do previously. You know, I think there's a lot of low value tasks that AI can start to deliver on where it frees up humans to do the more high value tasks, talking with people, uh, maybe interpreting the data and, and sort of translating it. So uh, definitely a space we're watching quite closely to see how people start to implement it. I think it's still pretty early days, um, but yeah, it, it, interesting to see how people start to to use AI to interpret accounting data better and financial data better to get better answers without the need to maybe always go to Excel and, and sort of do it yourself. Mm. So one last question from my side, because I think we have talked a little bit about, you know, why South Africans can do well on the global stage. And I think some of it is that bootstrapping culture, you know, some of it is actually our currency. You're not wrong. You know, a weaker rand makes us a very useful outsourcing destination actually for developed markets. But the thing I wanted to ask you as the final question on this podcast, and it's been great, thank you, is advice you would have. I mean, I know it's the most cliche question in the world, but the answers are always interesting. Advice you would have for entrepreneurs, specifically in that scale phase not just thinking of an idea but actually a little bit of product market fit and now looking to scale you know what are the insights that you wish someone had told you um i think yeah good good question i think it's a harder question than the ai question (laughs) (laughs) definitely definitely i think um yeah it is tough but Maybe looking back a, a few years, I think surrounding yourself with, with great people and, and hiring great talent is, has been key for, for us, you know, really getting sort of 10x people and, and great people surrounding you. Uh, so maybe maybe worth paying a bit more sometimes for a hire that, that could be a 10x uh, sort of person because they they will contribute way more. Uh, than than someone else on on that scale. So maybe hiring and and being willing to pay like a little bit more for the right person, I think would be a good takeaway. I think keep close to the customers. Uh, We probably, I'd say we probably have like, let's say a hundred video calls with customers a week, uh, hundreds and hundreds of phone calls, tons of chats on our chat interface. So we talk into customers all day, every day and in any position, you know, our chief product officer, myself as, as sort of a CEO and founder of the business, everyone's talking to customers all the time. And it really helps us inform like that product vision, where we should go, what we should do next. So I think stay close to your customers and no matter what level you're at, uh, even, like try always to keep close to them. Even if you're selling a relatively low value product that you think can be very self-service, I think talk to customers continuously would be my other piece of advice. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. It's it's so consistent with a conversation I had with an entrepreneur literally the other day over breakfast about the challenge of hiring and how you actually need to almost not bother or get the right person because the wrong person is actually just a negative. You still have to pay them something and they are actually going to just take up your time and headspace and not actually make your life easier. They're going to make it harder. So that's, that's really, really cool advice. I think that is basically what we have time for. I wanted to thank you for making time for this, sharing these insights with the Bizval audience. I think it's fantastic. For those listening to this who want to check out SIFT and how it might integrate into their own accounting software, what is the best way to do it? Do they look within the App Store on their sort of accounting software or do they go onto the SIFT website? What would you recommend? 100%. I'd say visit the SIFT website directly, uh, SIFT with a Y, siftanalytics.com. Uh, take a look there. You will find it on, on listed on the App Store, Zero, QuickBooks Online, and, and Sage. Uh, so 
two channels. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to, for you to get on, give it a trial, see if it's something that helps your business and appreciate uh, your time as well, Ghost. Thanks for having me. Thank you so very much. And we look forward to more engagements with you. Thank you.